In the book of Isaiah, in the sixth chapter, verses 1 through 8, it says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in my hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I send me. Isaiah was overwhelmed by this commissioning vision that he had. Here he stood before the holy God. He was struck with how tremendous a a situation he was in. God sat there on his throne with his train falling down. And notice where it went. If you read down on, you'll see that his train went into the temple, into this mercy seat. Rather than our God going to the palace He went to the temple because he intended that we would have a way of dealing with sin. And so he did that for us. When we talk about a holy God, we cannot use one definition. It just isn't sufficient when we talk about God. So I have four definitions for you. First is to be set apart. Many times in scripture, this was used to describe places where God was present. For example, the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies where God dwelled and the place where Moses was standing when he received his commission to go and let the people go. And he said, do not come closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Now a little aside to that, I believe that where the church gathers, there is holy ground as well. This morning we need to not treat this time as something insignificant because this is holy ground, not because of the building, although we really appreciate the building. It's because the church has gathered in this place. And wherever the church gathers is holy ground, for the Spirit is here. Secondly, the second definition is to be perfect, transcendent, or spiritually pure, evoking adoration and reverence. The psalmist declares several times in Psalm 99, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. The Lord God is holy. The third definition is that something that, or someone who evokes veneration or awe. Being frightened beyond belief. This is what happened to Isaiah when he stood before God. He was frightened because he knew he was a sinner. And he was standing before a holy God. This basic encounter of Isaiah 
sees the vision of the Lord, angels declaring, holy, holy is the Lord, and his natural response was, woe is me. Woe is me. What am I to do standing before the holy God? The third definition is filled with superhuman and potential uh, fatal power. Uh, that's the fourth one, I'm sorry. It, he filled with superhuman and potential fatal power. God is all-powerful. He holds the universe together. I don't know how he made it. We have some hints of how he made it. The most important scripture in that first chapter of Genesis is in the beginning God. And we are here because God decided we should be here. The whole universe is held together by the very hands of God. Scientists are trying to figure out why does this thing work? They can't figure out why it works. Why does all this work together? They can calculate it. They can figure it out. They can tell you where a planet's going to be or a, sun, or, a, or a star is going to be at any particular time, but they really don't know how come it works. Why does it work? Well, you and I have a really good idea of why it works. Because we include God in our understanding, we know why it works. So what are some of the practical implications of the fact that God is holy? Well, the practical implications are, first of all, he is absolutely pure, absolutely pure. God is free from sin. Now, this is different than many of the gods that man has created. Because man, when they create their own gods, little g, they tend to create one that looks like them, that acts like them. Think about, for those of us, we, at one time or another, we studied the Greek mythology and the pantheon of gods. And when you look at the pantheon of gods, they have all of the problems that you and I have. Jealousy, adultery, anger at their children to the place where sometimes they kill them. Anger at their parents to where some places they kill them. And they're supposed to be gods. They reflect human beings rather than being different. But God has come and revealed himself. And he is different. He is different. That's why we can place our total confidence in Jesus Christ. Because he is the only sinless person who could die for us and relieve us of sin and the penalty of sin. He was perfect without sin. Without sin. He is absolutely perfect. Everything about him is consistent. The way he deals with the world is the, is the, way, he deals with, the way he deals with you and I is perfect. His will is perfect. Psalm 77, the 13th verse, says, Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great? As our God, what we know is there is no other God. He stands above the universe. I've never quite understood how it happens that he can stand there above the universe, holding it together, seeing time, and yet he lives. You know the song. He lives within my heart. I don't understand that. I'm thankful for it. I don't understand it. He's absolutely separate as well. God is absolutely separate. God is set apart from us. God is eternal. Eternal. He never had a beginning. 
and he never had an end. God, and he'll never have an end. He is eternal. Part of the reason, again, we can put our trust in him is we know that he won't go broke anytime soon. It's interesting that we put money in investments. But we really don't know for certain whether it'll be there when we need it. We hope it will. We've studied and, or we've hired someone or we've studied people that know better than we do about how things work. But we don't know. How many of you remember Montgomery Wards? How many of you ever guessed five years before Montgomery Wards Wards went broke that it wouldn't be there in five years? I had lifetime break stuff with with, uh, Montgomery Wards. (laughs) Well, I'm still alive. Montgomery Wards is gone. I think they gave me $6 for that. That they They did. They sent me a check for $6 to fulfill their obligation to that in the, in the bankruptcy. But just think about the number of companies in your lifetime that you would have thought would be there forever, and they're gone. Now we have Walmart, we have Target, we have many other places. I remember Safeway when I was a child going into Safeway markets, and it being outstanding, it was a supermarket which when I was a child was a relatively rare thing. We had one in the town we lived in, a supermarket. There were other markets, but there's only one supermarket, and that was Safeway. Any of you gone to Safeway in California recently? (laughs) Anyhow, it happens. It's temporary. But God is not temporary. He's not temporary. He's with the beginning or end. The scripture says in 1 Timothy 6.16 that God is immortal, and who lives unapproachable, lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. We have had visions of God, but we can't see all that there is of God. And most of the people who have had visions of God decide after that they, they're, they're dead. You remember Gideon? When Gideon realized that that angel that stood and called him a great man of valor, by the way, he is hiding in a, in a wine press. Gideon's hiding out in a wine press trying to thresh a, a little bit of grain so the Midianites would not come and get it. And they, the angel comes and stands on the edge of the wine press and said, great man of valor. Well, and then he realizes after a while that he has seen God and he decides he will die. God is great, but we've never seen all of God. We don't have the capability to see all of God, even if we have a visitation. God is immortal, and he lives in unapproachable light. No one has seen him in all his fullness. God is not what American culture thinks it is. We tend to see, in American culture, we tend to see God either as the mean guy up on the hill that strikes you dead if you do the wrong thing, and with bolts of lightning, or we see them as this grandfatherly Santa Claus type. And I'm afraid too many of us as Christians see God as the Santa Claus type. Our job is to make a list of what we would like for this prayer time and give it to him. When my children were small, we gave them the Sears catalog. There's another thing that's gone. But we gave them the Sears toy catalog, and they would write down what they thought they would like. And my son, being my son, would write down what he thought he would like, and then he would put stars beside it. 
four stars for things he really wanted, one star for things that would be nice. And so he did in that area. But what we understand is God is not Santa Claus. He's, that's not his purpose. He gives us what we need. He provides what we need. What we need isn't always what we want. And often, because of the nature of the sin of the world, Christians go through torment and torture and death. And we can see that clearly in the Middle East and parts of Africa right now. That Christians who are standing up for the faith, many of them are dying. And we need to be in prayer. Serious, ongoing, heart-wrenching prayer for those Christians who are suffering that fate. God is there in spite of it. God is there. One thing is for sure. The reality of God's holiness should lead us to respond in worship and in reverence. The holiness of God should have a profound effect on us, but all too often it doesn't. We don't really, many of us, at least from time to time, don't reflect the fact that we care that God is holy. We just go on living our lives until we get in trouble. Then we come back to that Santa Claus God to fix what we shouldn't have done in the first place or what we shouldn't have gotten involved with in the first place. We should be in worship because of who God is. So let's look in the scripture and see how the holiness of God has affected those who have encountered it. In Exodus, Moses encounters God in the desert. Look at what verse 6 says. At this, Moses hid his face. Moses hid his face before God because he was afraid to look at God, the holy God, afraid to look at God. God came to tell him, to commission him as to what he was to be doing, but he was afraid to look at him because he understood the greatness and the awe of God. In Revelation, the fourth chapter, John gives us a sneak peek at what goes on around the throne of God. Angelic beings surround him, bowing down before him day and night, declaring that God is holy. God is holy. Isaiah 6, we looked at and saw what Isaiah thought. But then in Revelation, the fourth chapter, we see again that call out of holy, holy, holy. Pastor read that this morning, and we see it, holy, holy, holy. When you have that kind of declaration in the scripture, I will tell you that should trigger you to say that's important. The fact that God is holy is important. It's important to understand, to keep in mind as we live our lives, God is holy. Sometimes I wonder why God doesn't give me the kind of experience that Isaiah had or Moses had. In reality, probably I wouldn't be able to deal with it. But I've thought about that. There's been times in my life when doubt has entered in. I said, you know, Lord, just do, just make sure I know. Make sure I know. But most of the time, I don't get that kind of response from God. And then I realize I don't need that kind of response from God. These were commissioned for special purposes. I don't need that experience with God. You know, I've never been to Yellowstone National Park. How many of you have been to Yellowstone? All right, good. I've never been there. My experience is largely in Southern California where it's dry. Nowadays, they have this sign that just irritates me going down Azusa that says, 
brown is the new green. <laughs> Friends, I, I, I need to go down and talk to our authorities and tell them brown is brown. <laughs> it may be ne- what they're doing may be necessary, but brown is brown. I'm sorry. Brown is brown. So I, my experience, if you just said Yellowstone is a beautiful place, I can imagine what it's like to some degree. If I hadn't lived in Oregon, I don't know that I would know what it's like. I go to Oregon to OD on green. <laughs> I get up there and it's just so vividly green. In California, we have green, but our green is muted for the most part. But when you get up into Oregon, green is green. Now, I've never been to a Yellowstone National Park, but do you know I believe there is a Yellowstone National Park? You know why? Because all of you just said you've been there. That's why. I've also seen pictures of it. I've never been there, but I've seen pictures of it. I know what it looks like. I know what it's looked like. So, you know, when you read the encounters like Isaiah and John, to me, it's like a picture. God has given a picture so that I can believe. I see God and holiness displayed in his life. And I see some of my contemporary Christians where that holiness is displayed in their lives. And I can believe because I see it. I trust God's word. Even those of you who have seen Yellowstone, uh, even those of you, however, who have seen Yellowstone have not seen every detail of Yellowstone. You haven't had the time. Even if you have lived there, you can live there your entire life and very likely not see all the detail there is to see at Yellowstone. So even those who have seen God have not seen all of God. And yet, the experience that they've had is such that I can believe. And I don't have to have that kind of experience. So I know that God is holy because of what is said about him in Scripture. I know he's holy because of what's said about him in Scripture. I know God is holy because I've encountered the holy God along the way myself. Sometimes, usually in a wee small voice. And not in a loud voice, thundering voice. But I've encountered him. I've encountered him in you. And I've had times when I've encountered him in me. And sometimes the problem, the reason I don't encounter him is because I'm not looking in the right place. And I'm not right in the right situation. But I know that he exists. Have you ever run around little children and you tell them not to touch something? And what's the first thing they go try to do? To touch it. That's what they, you know, you don't, they go try to to touch it. The problem is some of the things that we tell them not to touch will hurt them. And they'll find out right away that it's painful. We go up and touch it. Anyhow, we willfully end up feeling the pain because we don't follow the instruction. I know that it's better when I obey and trust a holy God. My life is better. I will tell you right now something I've told some of my friends here. I have had a better life than I had any right to expect. And I expect to continue to have that going on with the Lord eventually. To have a better life than I had any right to expect. And I believe part of, uh, most of that was because God was in my life. He put me in the right place. I went to the Whittier Church of God. You know what God gave me at the Whittier Church of God? My wife. What a great gift. Wow. 
If I hadn't gone to there, if I would not gone to church on Sunday morning, I would have never met her. That would be extremely unfortunate. Not good at all. My life is better when I walk where God shows me to walk. When I walk in His holiness and know He approves. I know God is holy because of the life of Jesus Christ. Because of the life of Jesus Christ. Hebrews, the fifth chapter, verses 14 through 15. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. One of the really great things about our God is he knows, he understands the situations that we're in. He's experienced those situations. He's lived here on earth. God is infinite. We said he was separate, and yet he chose to come down to earth to demonstrate to us that he understands, that he knows. So when you're in trial and you're in trouble and you just can't see the way out, know that God knows the situation that you're in. God expects expects us, however, to do more than just have a knowledge that he is holy. He expects us to live a holy life. Look at what the scripture says in Leviticus, the 20th chapter, You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. That applies directly to Israel, but guess what it applies to today? You, the church. God has set his church apart. We are his instruments in this world. When we look around us and we have problems with what we see and we're discouraged by what we see, know that the answer lies right here with you and I. We are the church. We need to act like the church. We need to be the church. We need to be listening to God. We need to be living that life that allows us to have authority when we speak. Leviticus, the 11th chapter, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. God calls us to holiness. 1 Peter, the first chapter, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy as because I am holy. God gives us his Holy Spirit. The purpose of his giving his Holy Spirit is to enable us, to empower us. And part of what he enables us to be is to be holy. Does that mean we never make mistakes? No. Might it be that we might even sin on occasion? We shouldn't. We shouldn't have to. The Holy Spirit should be working in us and through us. But John provides that in 1 John. He says, little children, I write these things unto you that you sin not. God expects us not to sin. But he goes further than that. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So you don't give up in your life. You don't give up. You keep on because God has given us the Holy Spirit He is holy. He wants us to live a holy life. The difference is we have a capacity to mess up. And he doesn't. But he understands. We are to be holy both vertically between each other and vertically to God and us and between each other horizontally. We are to be holy. 
We are to be holy outwardly, and we are to be holy inwardly. Now, I think that in this day and age, we understand that. There was a time when people separated the spiritual from the physical. Sometimes on television, when you listen to some of the people that profess to be Christians, you suspect they have separated their lives into spiritual and physical. But we are one on this earth. Our physical and our spiritual are bound together on this earth. And it's important that we live a life that is pure and blameless before God, being pure and blameless before others in everything we do, in everything we say. And it can only be done as we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. We have to give up to God and be looking for him. We need each other as well. God gives us the body also to help us to go on in holiness. We talk about accountability. When you think about it, if you do things in secret, you're far more likely to get yourself in big trouble. But when we do them out in front, then we stay with him. And that's part of the reason he gave us the church, so that we can be out front with each other. I guarantee that if you decide to live a holy life, you will be in the minority in this world. You'll be in the minority. But it is the way to true, per, true uh, peace and purpose. God gives us a purpose as we live the holy life. For without holiness, the scripture says, no one will see God. God doesn't tell us that and then leave us. That's always some of my problem that we have, is people say, oh yeah, that's what it says. Without holiness, no one sees God. But on the other hand, I can't be holy. Well, that's not really what the scripture says. We can't be holy in ourselves. We can't do it on our own. But when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us and give ourselves to him, and then we live within the fellowship of the church, we can be and we should be a holy people. God is holy, holy, holy. And in Hebrew, when you repeat something three times, you're saying it's really important. It's really true. Believe me, he is holy, holy, holy. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you decided to send your son, that we can know him and our sins can be forgiven. And then you left with us the Holy Spirit so that we can live a life that is pleasing to you. Be with us as a church to understand that we are a holy people, that the solutions to the problems our society faces are here and in the churches throughout our community, throughout our state, throughout our nation. Guide our pastors. Lead us as a people. Show us your way. In Jesus' name, amen.